Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Melissa Colston. Hello. So we're kicking off the new year with an episode that focuses on fresh starts. I know everybody usually has lots of great intentions at the beginning of the year. How about you, Melissa? Um, well, we'll get into this a little later, but I'm pretty <laughs> unoptimistic this year about changing everything about my life <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> Becoming a new person. So I... I haven't really set any of those big lofty goals. How about you? Yeah, actually, I'm I'm sort of pessimistic about <laughs> goal setting myself, which is why it's great to read about other people and their goals. Yes, it can either be inspiring or just something to shake your head at a little bit, but everybody has a place to, to start from. That's right. <laughs> So I'll go ahead and kick it off with my first book. It's Bellwether Rhapsody by Kate Reculia. So Bellwether Rhapsody has been on my reading list for a while, ever since Bonnie, our collection development librarian, described it as reading like a Wes Anderson film. If you want to take that analogy further, you might say that it's like reading Anderson's film, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Like the Grand Budapest Hotel, the Bellwether Hotel and the Catskills, where Bellwether Rhapsody takes place, has seen better days. The once red carpet has faded to pink, and except for an annual festival for high school musicians, the rooms stay mostly empty. The book opens in 1982, when 12-year-old bridesmaid Minnie Graves witnesses a murder-suicide that takes place in room 712. It then jumps to 1997, the 15-year anniversary of the crime. Minnie has returned to the hotel, hoping she'll be able to get over that traumatic event and start to live again. It's the weekend of the statewide music festival, and we're introduced to an eccentric cast of characters. Twins and gifted musicians Rabbit and Alice Hatmaker, their teacher Natalie Wink Wilson, the festival's conductor Fisher Brody, Harold Hastings, the hotel's longtime concierge, Jill Ficelli, a young prodigy, and her abusive mother, Viola Fabian, who is also the festival director. Reculia takes her time introducing all these characters and their secrets, so much so that I started to wonder when we were going to get to the actual mystery. But then the young prodigy, Jill, who is also Alice's roommate, disappears from their room, which just happens to be the same infamous room 712. Alice thinks she saw Jill's body hanging from an orange extension cord, but when she returns with help, Jill is gone. Was it a prank, a suicide, or a murder? With a snowstorm barreling down on the hotel and everyone's secrets bubbling to the surface, Alice and Minnie attempt to solve the case. Bellwether Rhapsody's richly textured backstories and layered themes set it apart from the typical mystery. Minnie isn't the only character longing for a new life. While some of the characters want to escape their past and find a renewed joy in music, Others struggle to come of age and even to come out. 
Rikulia's writing is often darkly funny and has moments of transcendence. In one of my favorite passages, music teacher Natalie asks, Whatever will she do with the rest of her life? Scream until she's hoarse, bloody her hands, pounding on the door in vain? Or turn her gaze up, up, up to the awesome face of the universe as a blanket of snow pulls itself tight around her? She looks up. She sees not a new life, but a whole new world. So it was kind of difficult to pick what food to pair with this novel because the food at the Hotel Bellwether is really bad. (laughs) Is that a plot point? (laughs) That is kind of a plot point. (laughs) Even at the final banquet, um, the hotel staff wheel out this big, impressive cart, supposedly of Bananas Foster, (laughs) and even that is described as mediocre. So instead, the characters um, end up eating combos from the vending machines. (laughs) And um, in one case, they hold up a nearby convenience store (laughs) for ho-hos and packaged cupcakes and Twinkies. Um, I probably haven't eaten any of those things since the late 90s myself. But if Bellwether Rhapsody makes you crave them, You can either buy them, because we definitely don't condone armed robbery for for getting as a way of getting our Twinkies, Um, or you can try making them yourself. Um, And we have a book called Classic Snacks Made from Scratch by Casey Barber that actually has recipes for Twinkies, um, nacho cheese combos, and Hostess cupcakes, and that's available as an ebook on Hoopla Digital. Did you have a favorite combo flavor? I'm not, I'm not a big fan of combos. I don't know why, but they kind of freak me out. Freak you out? A little bit. I don't... Now that I think about it, like, hmm. How about you? Well, I mean, like I said, I haven't eaten them since <laughs> the 90s, yeah, I don't probably. Think I have um, I, I, probably it was just plain cheese or something. Yeah, I can't really bring it to mind. I mean, there's like pizza flavor and nacho. Doesn't taste anything like pizza. Probably not. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm not going to try them again just to find out. <laughs> no. I mean, the, the idea is good, though. You know, pretzels, cheese, like... Flavor. You know, what's wrong with that? But, yeah, the execution, maybe not so much. <laughs> Not our favorite here on Pixie Bites. <laughs> <laughs> but if you like them, feel free to feel free to open up a pack while you read Bellwether Rhapsody. <laughs> so my first book is the latest in a long line of shiny books that have caught my eye and that I am now forcing in front of everyone else's eyes and ears because I am so deeply in love with it. Uh, It's Nevermore, The Trials of Morgan Crow by Jessica Townsend, and it is unsurprisingly about Morgan Crow, a cursed child who is fated to die at midnight on Eventide. When Eventide arrives unexpectedly on her 11th birthday, 
Morgan is thankfully spared her fate and her horrid family and is whisked away to Nevermore, where she will join the competition to enter the Wondrous Society. A lot of folks compare Nevermore to Harry Potter, and I would definitely recommend it for fans of Harry Potter. Um, but I would also say that if, even if you don't like Harry Potter, but if you appreciate silliness juxtaposed against some decently dark stuff, uh, this book will be right up your alley. Uh, sort of, I would think, um, like fans of Neil Gaiman or anyone that doesn't mind fantasy, first of all, but then also doesn't mind young children, second of all, but also really likes silliness. Because this is a very <laughs> silly book and I love it a lot. It's one of the things I appreciate most in people. Um, but I've heard from a lot of people that across reading uh, spectra that <laughs> they like this book as well as I do. Um, it's written for middle grade readers, but like I said, every adult I've made listen to it has been just as captivated as I am. Um, also, the audiobook is extremely good. I cannot recommend it more highly. Gemma Whelan's narration is absolutely delightful and she covers a wide range of British accents in just, there's a lot of characters and she does a really good job of keeping track of the different ones and also making them so entertaining. Like I've gone back and read the print book and I hear them, but also recognize that if I'd read the print book, I wouldn't have nearly the range of, of voices in my head that she provides and it's just great. Um, there's so much that I love about this book that it's nearly impossible for me to pick just one or two, but I will say that I think beyond the, the fantastical setting and all of the clever things and funny lines, uh, I think that Townsend does a really great job of capturing the complex experience and feelings of a traumatized child while also lightening the tale with those funny, witty lines and amazing setting. Um, there's, there's just a lot of development between Morrigan and the adults around her and mm -hmm. the situation that she's in. And I think Townsend does a really good job of recognizing how she has been traumatized while also letting her be a kid. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's just a lot that happens in this book that you know little kids may not catch at all, like most great little kid literature. Mm -hmm. um, but the adults will definitely pick up on it. Um, I'm sure there's someone out there that doesn't like Nevermore, but I probably wouldn't be friends with them. So <laughs> I'm just saying, I think it's great. And I think everybody should read it. I think it's one of the best books I've read in a long time. I l I've listened to it twice now. I'm in the middle of listening to it a third time. I love it so much. Can't and say enough about it. <laughs> what? Is it on one of our listening platforms? Yes, we have it on Overdrive to listen to. And um, the sequel just came out, and it's called Wondersmith. And we also have that on Overdrive for Great. listening and reading. Um, but we also have the CDs and the books, of course. So as far as what to pair with Nevermore, um, Townsend highlights a lot of typical British fare in the book, but Morgan's favorite dish is roasted parsnips. 
which makes a notable appearance early in the book. I'm not a huge fan of parsnips or sweet potatoes or turnips or anything that isn't an actual potato because I want them to be potatoes and then they mm. aren't regular potatoes. Hmm. I have a problem with that with other foods where I want them to be something and then they aren't and then I'm disappointed and that's that's my problem. That's well, not I can definitely <laughs> see that with parsnips. That's also not a favorite of mine. But sweet potatoes, I would never want them to be a potato. <laughs> I just really love potatoes. <laughs> I understand people that like sweet potatoes, but I I have trouble with them. Um, but I did find a recipe in Yotamata Lengi's book, Plenty, which is a book just about vegetables. And he has a sequel to that called Plenty More that is also just about vegetables. And they're both great books. Um, but the recipe is for roasted parsnips and sweet potatoes with a caper vinaigrette that sounds pretty great. I think I could get down with it. Um, it includes roasted red onions, herbs, garlic, and cherry tomatoes. And it looks like it's probably like savory enough that I can get over myself and just enjoy the veggies for what they are. <laughs> so if that sounds good to you, check out the cookbook. We've got it in our collection here at JCPL. And also pick up Nevermore while you're at it. <laughs> Great. Thanks. So my next book is also quite British, and it is called Comfort Farm by Stella Gibbons. And it's one of those books that I return to again and again. It was originally published in 1932, and it's a classic that Nancy Pearl, everyone's favorite NPR librarian, <laughs> called, quote, quite simply one of the funniest satirical novels of the last century. At 19, British socialite Flora Post is orphaned and must figure out how to survive on the 100 pounds a year her parents left her. Instead of getting a job, Flora decides to write to her remaining relatives in search of a place to stay, to embark, as she puts it, on a career as a parasite. <laughs> None of her options are great, so Flora picks the relatives who respond with the most interesting letter, the Stark Adders of Cold Comfort Farm. And naturally, the Stark Adders are eccentric. Among others, there's Alphine, a 17-year-old aspiring poet who wanders the woods in capes. Her brother Seth, an oversexed farmhand who wants to be in the talkies. Amos, who leads the Church of the Quivering Brethren. And most eccentric of all, Aunt Ada Doom, who once saw something nasty in the woodshed that causes her, rather conveniently, Flora thinks, to keep a tight rein on her family from her locked bedroom. The practical Flora takes it upon herself to organize the gloomy Stark Adders into more conventional and ultimately happier lives. The novel satirizes the romantic cliches often found in 19th century British writing. And while Flora is indeed retro in her disdain for having a paying job, there are moments in the book where her views feel decidedly modern. For example, one of the characters is writing a book that argues that Bronwell Bronte actually wrote all of his sister's masterpieces, 
citing as evidence the letters he wrote to his elderly aunt. Flora thinks, quote, it was not the habit of men of genius to refresh themselves from their labors by writing to old aunts. This task, indeed, usually fell to the sisters and wives of men of genius, and it struck Flora as far more likely that Charlotte, Anne, or Emily would have had to cope with any old aunts who were clamoring to be written to. <laughs> if you enjoyed Nancy Mitford's The Pursuit of Love or Dodie Smith's I Capture the Castle, you might like Cold Comfort Farm. And there is also a very funny movie adaptation with Kate Beckinsale that I recommend as well. It also occurred to me that um, probably any book featuring an orphan as a, hero, as a hero or a heroine would probably fit under the Fresh Starts theme. Like yeah, I think so. Harry Potter or Anne of Green Gables or... <laughs> Morrigan Crow. Not orphaned, but taken away for a new life <laughs> that's right <laughs> so um for for what to pair with cold comfort farm um the stark adders get their feelings hurt so easily that flora learns to ask permission when she wants to go to town or even to buy apricot jam for tea to this last request, Flora's cousin Judith replies that anybody might do anything they pleased so long as she was left alone with her sorrow. So dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> the Starkatters are pretty dramatic, especially cousin Judith. Um, anyway, Flora takes that as a yes, <laughs> and she, she takes it upon herself to go to town and buy her buy her apricot jam so I think in honor of her small victory and also the surprisingly good Stark Adder bread which she is um, pleasantly surprised by you should pair cold comfort with a cup of English breakfast and a piece of toasted crusty bread slathered in apricot jam and just the thought of eating that makes me feel as practical and cheerful as Flora Post. pessimistic attitude towards the new year and the new start of the new year. Um, when thinking about this theme, uh, I kept finding myself pulled towards books about death or near death. And my next book, I Am, I Am, I Am by Maggie O'Farrell is the one that made the cut. This book by O'Farrell is subtitled 17 Brushes with Death and is about the author's real near-death experiences that she has experienced over her life. As I've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm not particularly inclined to read nonfiction, and especially not inclined to read essay collections, so I was duly amazed at how quickly I was sucked into this book, and I kind of almost couldn't put it down. Uh, do not, however, be misled by my enthusiasm. This is not an easy book to read. And in fact, I had to put it down when it got to be just a little too much. And I still haven't actually finished it. So I'm recommending this book unreservedly based on about half of it. <laughs> it was really, really good. Um, I do sincerely intend to finish it one day. 
And I'm not just saying that. In contemplating what fresh start even means, or fresh starts, especially in the middle of winter, I consistently run up against the notion that even if you have a chance to make a fresh start and begin anew, you will always have the baggage of your life to carry with you. But that baggage can either help you along the way or and make the path a little smoother because of what you have learned. I think that's why, in fact, O'Farrell's book appealed to me so much for this particular theme. there's always something to learn from what you've experienced and it informs, you know, everything that you do in the future. So I think that's where I come down on fresh starts. You can't all, you can't begin all the way anew. There's always something to contend with from your past. Um, so I would recommend Maggie O'Farrell's book. I am, I am, I am, but I would say just to make sure you aren't in too vulnerable a place emotionally or psychologically when you pick it up. It's, it's not super easy. <laughs> so consider yourself warned. Warned, <laughs> yes. Uh, Maggie O'Farrell does not talk much about food or drink in her book, but it feels appropriate to pair it with the cocktail, The Corpse Reviver, which comes in many forms. If you want to go local, however, try The Kentucky Corpse Survivor, which features one part each of bourbon, Lillet Blanc, lemon juice, and Cointreau. Shake the ingredients together with ice, strain, and garnish with mint. This form of the drink almost becomes like a a softer whiskey sour. Uh, I had one last night and it was very nice. Uh, The the regular Corpse Survivor has a a swirl of absinthe in it, so it can be a little bit funkier, but the, the Kentucky version is a little bit more straightforward. So... How how did it get that name? I think it is what I remember from the Wikipedia entry is a, it's a little bit like a hair of the dog situation mm-hmm. where it will bring you back to life after <laughs> a really hard night. But it's uh, I found the drink last night to be uh, a good way to start the evening too. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so multiple uses for the corpse. Reviver. Reviver. (laughs) Yep. Excellent. Since a lot of people read self-help books in January, I thought I'd pair my earlier fiction choices with some nonfiction self-help books. And I think some of the characters in Bellwether Rhapsody, especially Minnie Graves, whose mind after witnessing the murder-suicide has found refuge in stories and movies, would benefit from the book Super You, Release Your Inner Superhero by Emily V. Gordon. According to the publisher, Quote, Super You is a fun, friendly, and unabashedly geeky guide to becoming the superhero of your own extraordinary life. Author Emily Gordon examines comic book tropes to find lessons that anyone can apply toward overcoming tragic events and adversity in their own lives. With activities in every chapter to help identify each person's superpowers, special tools, personal kryptonite, and weapons against it, Super U is the perfect sidekick for every growing hero, empowering everyday people to transform into the most kick-ass versions of themselves." Unquote. 
Now, Flora Post clearly doesn't need any self-help books. But if you'd like to learn how to make the best of an unfamiliar place like she does, check out the book, This is Where You Belong, The Art and Science of Loving the Place You Live by Melody Warnick. After six moves, journalist Melanie Warnick decides she wants to learn to love her new hometown of Blacksburg, Virginia. She, quote, dives into the research around our attachments to place and travels across the country to find out what draws Americans to where they live and what makes them want to stay. What she learns will inspire you to embrace your own community and perhaps discover that where you live now is home. is Landline by Rainbow Rowell, which ticks a few thought experiments and sort of runs with them. The premise is that the main character, Georgie's marriage is already a little shaky when Georgie opts to stay in California while her husband takes their two young girls to Nebraska for Christmas. Not a great situation to be sure. Instead of sitting home alone, however, Georgie goes to stay at her mom's house where she discovers that the landline in her childhood bedroom, instead of calling her husband's parents' house in the current, present, 2013, it calls her husband's parents' house 15 years in the past. (laughs) Precisely during the week of the last time their relationship was on the rocks, just before they got engaged. Georgie spends the next week talking to her husband before he was her husband, revisiting the beginnings of their relationship and building it back up. I read this book a few years ago, and while I'm still a little fuzzy on the details, uh, I have a strong feeling of comfort in my memory that surrounds Landline. I think in the way that I am, I am, I am feels like breaking up and breaking apart and breaking down. Landline feels a bit more like reconstruction and repair. I really like the way Rainbow Rowell writes dialogue, and this book really lets her show off that strength. It's a lovely little romance that's a little off the wall and takes the idea of if I knew then what I know now and runs with it. In honor of Georgie's complete ineptitude for taking care of herself and her little sister's crush on the pizza delivery guy, pair landline with a pizza, delivery preferred. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. We record in the recording studio at the Jessamine County Public Library. You can find out more about the library and our recording studio on our website at jesspublib.org. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website at doorforadesk.com.